changing fast and the issues are becoming increasingly complex from global warming to social change to disparity in wealth. All of these issues ask us to dig deep. Each of us has the capacity to adapt, creatively adapt to changing outside conditions, but we really haven't tapped into that much. And of course, the aggression is a sign that we're failing to do so. My name is Donna Jones. This is the Insight to Action podcast. This is the place where you'll gain insights and inspiration from innovative thinkers and doers in business who hold a higher vision for humanity. If you're interested in co-creating the future moment by moment, this is the program where you'll meet people like you so we can collectively restore the health of workplaces and society along with the ecological support systems that everyone needs for life. So questions I've asked myself, and I'm sure most people have at some time or another, is who am I really? You know, what is my true nature? What is my place, my role, and my purpose in this world? And these are questions that apply not just at a personal level, but they also scale up to embrace each unit of organization, each unit of of social organization, including business, including companies. For example, do companies exist to consume resources and resources with a, you know, quotation marks, meaning people and planet, or can they be of greater benefit to society and the planet as a whole? The answer depends on how you consciously perceive reality. So with me today is Professor Irvin Laszlo, and I have to say it's just such an honor to have you in the program because you, as I've said before privately, you help me make sense of the world and the writing that Professor Laszlo has done is very both very comfort, comforting and compelling because in my own work I was witnessing massive planetary changes and absolutely no connection being made to human activity and and you could see this was a collision course that of course we're we're facing today. So Irvin Laszlo is the founder director of the Laszlo Institute of the New Paradigm uh, Research. He's one of the foremost experts in systems thinking and by that I mean systems thinking, not just tracking thought patterns in organizations but tracing the threads that link the cosmos to the core of the planet and all of life. So it's a much bigger picture and one that offers much more sense-making capacity than just simply looking at things in very three-dimensional levels. He's author and co-author of 90 books in over 23 languages, twice nominated for the Nobel. He's also the president and co-founder of the Club of Budapest. Wow, I could take the whole program describing your accomplishments. Two words come to mind in that in that intro. One is reality and the other is consciousness, both of which conjure up different meanings in the minds of, of anyone listening to this conversation. How would you describe what those mean to someone? Well, Donna, first of all, it's a pleasure to talk with you. Uh, very good, good questions, basic crazy questions. There is a naive realism which says reality is what we perceive. We see it like that, then that's what it is, okay? Uh, and uh, that has been questioned now for the past two and a half thousand years, roughly, uh, because it may be that uh, there is another deeper aspect to reality, which is not immediately reflected in what we see. Maybe we only see a part of it. Maybe only we see a kind of a reflection, a representation of it. Maybe there is more to it, you know. So the this idea of being a deeper level was there in the Greeks, or there in Plato, of course, this famous Platonic realm. But it's then in science. All of science is based on the, uh, contemporary science anyway, is based on the notion that we can grasp 
the 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 nature of what there is, it is what we call reality, and it's accessible to us. But it needs to be constructed. It needs to be put together. What we get from the world is dots, as it were. You know, we have to connect the dots. What are the dots? The dots are observations. You observe this, you observe how an animal behaves, you observe the stars, you observe nature, you observe human beings, you observe organizations, and you describe these observations. But these observations also have to somehow fit together. And science is the attempt to create a meaningful picture of what there is behind or beyond our observations. So if it was a simple matter, just putting it together, then all we would need to do is observe, observe, and keep adding it together, keep putting it together, add on this and that and the other thing. And in the Middle Ages, this was the beginning of science. In, in botany, for example, we thought we just observe this kind of plant and that kind of plant, and eventually we get the whole thing. But nowadays we got to up, up, come up to notions that we don't immediately observe. For example, genes. We don't observe genes per se. We, 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 we can construct what we do observe on the basis of genes. We don't observe energy per se. You know, we have the effect of energy. Uh, we don't know what matter is, actually. If, if you take away all the characteristics of a matter of this and matter of that, uh, extension and force and, 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 uh, uh, and uh, weight and position, velocity and all that, you know, what is left? What is there after matter? So I don't want to complicate matters. I just want to say kind of a summary way that reality is a construction based on our observations of the world and of ourselves, of course. And to put this together is a task of science. Einstein said it very well. He said, in science, we seek the simplest possible scheme that can tie together the observations. So this is what science seeks. And we have a good reason, I think, at least for me, the very good reason to believe that when we get to the simplest possible scheme, that ties together one observation and another, and ultimately all the relevant observations, then that is likely to be as close to that famous concept of reality as we can get. Now, what does reality have to do with consciousness? Because if I look at business right now, there's a lot of large companies that are running like crazy to get absolutely nowhere because they've lost touch of the larger construct of reality. They've, they've completely disconnected from that. How how can consciousness inform reality and your perception of it? Because reality, when you put things together, when you connect the dots, reality turns out to be, and I'm, let me sort of get right away to the gist of the matter, reality turns out to be not bits of matter floating around in space and time. That was the Newtonian concept, and it's overcome now, it's transcended. So reality is something different. Just look at the old concept. The old concept was that bits of matter moving in space and time and according to mechanistic laws. So the whole of the world is a kind of like a big mechanism. And we are just outside of it, or we could be part of it, but we, what we observe is the, is the outside observer. We just look in on it. Now, in that reality, there is no place for consciousness. There's no place for mind. Everything is movement according to mechanistic laws. Everything is, is matter in one form or another. Atoms and molecules and, and cells and organisms and galaxies and stars and so on. And they all, that's what sort of reality is. And we are, there is nothing like mind in that. Where would it be? 
So the point that I'm getting to is the new concept of reality is not that of a dead, inert, passive universe that is just moving along according to given laws that have been given from the beginning of time. The new world is much more like a sphere of mind. James Jeans, a famous uh, cosmologist the last century, he said, the world, the universe is more like a big thought than like a big rock. So what we're discovering now, the universe is more like a, a well, how should I say, a cloud, a, a set of informations, a, a set of uh, ideas that are tied together. It all sounds very esoteric and idealistic, but it isn't, actually it isn't. Because when you get right down to the bottom, to the rock bottom, and you observe how the smallest units of matter behave, what they are, you can go down, down, and down into the smallest and smallest scale, and you don't find anything hard and ultimate, what the old Greek philosophers called matter, you know, the atoms, atoms, the ultimate indivisible units. What you find is kind of information that moves things around. There's vibration being caught together, an atom, a nucleus vibrates, an electron and a proton, it brings together larger and larger schemes together, building up molecules, building up whole orga- organisms and organizations. Why finally what there is, is this informational world, which is like a big thought. It's like a big consciousness. It's like a big intelligence. And I'm not the only one of saying this. I mean, uh, philosopher and uh, scientists are there, like Max Planck said, I can tell you after 40 years of studying the, the most hard-headed science, physics, and studying what there is in the world, I can tell you one thing. There is no such thing as matter. What there is is this intelligence that holds together the vibrations we know as elementary particles. So it's a very different concept. And this different concept is very much a holistic concept, very much of one thing being connected to another thing. It's the whole thing. It's a big informational network, as it were. And I'm not talking about the human world. I'm talking about the universe, per se. And that's the current, most recent kind of a concept that you can describe in very simple terms as being one whole informational system that has its own intelligence, that has its own laws. We call them the laws of nature. And put together all these laws of nature, and you get then those kind of phenomena that we actually observe. And these are phenomena of energy moving according to very specific instructions. These instructions are what we call the laws of nature. They are algorithms, as it were. It tells tells the world how to behave, as it were. When you encounter one element, one particle, another one, does it repel, repel, does it pull together? Does it create something else? Is it replicated elsewhere? So this universe is not local. These are current terms. It's so-called non-local because everything is connected simultaneously at all points. It's like a large uh, hologram where every part is connected, is in every other part, as it were. And this universe is is an indivisible whole. It Again, it, all this sounds like being sort of esoteric poetry or metaphysics. It is the new science. It is quantum science, basically. quantum cosmology. And here you ask about consciousness. Consciousness is a factor in this universe, is something that emerges as in the interaction of things. But I don't believe that it is something that is just a part 
is just an epiphenomenon produced by the brain interacting with another brain or producing uh, these complex firings of perceptions. I think the information is there in the world. It is what makes the world what it is. And this information is itself a consciousness. The world is not a matter realm of which there is no consciousness. On the contrary, I would say the world is like a consciousness which in large manner, a large part behaves as matter. It's a completely opposite, different kind of a definition. When, when I listen to that ex- explanation, you talk about it being esoteric. In my own experience, everything you've said, you can witness in company dynamics. And, and when, you, you know, when you amplify your capacity to perceive what you're seeing, in other words, you're, you're looking at the physical, but you're looking beyond the physical, and you're looking at things in terms of energy flow, then you, you all of a sudden gain access to a much deeper capacity within any organization because it's a deeper capacity within the individual themselves to really set the conditions for highest contribution, if I can put it that way. Because everything is connected, the, the impact of any decisions is, is clear. There's not, there's not this disconnection. It's, it's very clear that if you do this, and I'm, I'm not speaking causally at this point, I, I'm just in terms of the wider dynamics, um, you can see these things unfold. So while it sounds esoteric, it's far from it when it comes to how it plays out in, in certainly companies. I'm saying it is the reality. What you're saying is absolutely right. It is beyond the surface manifestations. You get right down to it, and we are part of an interconnected network. Our consciousness is hooked into this network so that what you think is not only uh, determines how you act, what you do with your hands and with your feet and with your mouth. It is also affecting what other people think. Consciousness is non-local. And we have many, many experiments of, 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 to this effect. We now know that the universe can be described as a, as, a, as a global, non-local realism, not a local realism. Things are not only here and now. Here, things are extending in the quantum world, all over the, the space and time. And the quantum world is not only the super small scale of the universe, it's every scale. So the human scale is part of the quantum realm. The entire universe is a quantum universe. And that's the latest understanding that is emerging from the leading edge of scientific research. Well, that's reassuring, because I know I'm now at the place in my own skill set, if you match whatever you want to call it, where you can go into a company. Before you come anywhere near the company, you can almost detect what level they're operating at. And that's very helpful because it gives you some idea of what they can handle, what not, you know, what their starting point is. So can we talk a bit about a shift in consciousness and, and the expansion of consciousness and what it means to existence, which is critical at a time when the planet's uh, ecosystem services, really, they're, they're, you know, how they've been contributing to the economy have been taxed beyond limit, well beyond capacity to regenerate. What's the relationship between the expansion of consciousness and existence, if you will? Okay, if you recognize what this world really is, let's talk about existence, you know, then you come to an interesting recognition. This world is not an aggregate or a heap or just a, a chunk of many individual things somehow coming together. So it's when we do deal on the level of individual things, you don't necessarily grasp or can do interact with the whole. What you do on the local level is not necessarily what needs to be done to the whole level because it's all interconnected. They all affect the whole thing, but it's what you call 
call in a more systems terms, sub-optimization. When you act purely locally, you know, you are acting in the interest of one part of this whole interdependent system. And that is a very dangerous thing to do. So it is, is contrast with trying to act in such a way that you optimize the whole system, the whole organization, for example, and the organization plus its surroundings. On a practical level, you know, you don't just try to act to maximize your own interest. If you do that, you could very well be sub-optimizing the system. That means you're destroying some other elements of the system at the, because you're operating at the expense of that system. And that means that sooner or later you're operating at your own expense also, since you're part of that system. You know, the paradigm case in this, or paramount case, is, is, is the human organism. Because an organization is, in many respects, like a human living system as well. All its elements act together and they create the whole system. If any part of this whole system is just starts to act, begins to act on its own and only replicates itself, you know, you know what we call it when it comes to the human body or any living body, we call it a cancer. When, we, when it comes to the, to the world of organizations, we call it this system, the financial system, the banking system. We call it the nation-state system or the power system, or the, or the ideological system, or whatever. These are all have been fractioning, taking apart the wholeness and the interdependence, interaction of the entire system, and operating in their own perceived interest. And their own perceived interest is not necessarily the interest of the whole. It, it could only be at the expense of the whole. So the contrary holds true. If you act so as to optimize the whole, you can also optimize the part that is a part of the whole. So you keep your eye on the, on the overall system. Whatever you do, whatever organization, keep your eye on the entire network of, of, of systems within which you operate, whether it can be a, a, a branch of industry or a, a market or a nation or a, or a global exchange system of exchange or whatever. Look at the whole system and ask how what you do fits into that and how it can manage to make it to flourish the whole thing. If you make, if you flourish the whole thing, the whole system, then you are optimizing the conditions under which you can live. So it's, it's this is the new holism, it's the global realism. It's uh, the whole system is an interacting, interdependent, informational quantum system. You know, put all those words together, but what it really describes is that it is an indestructible, indivisible whole. In which we have to act, which we don't recognize, we do so at our own risk, at our own, own disbenefit. So look at the whole thing and act so as to be a positive part of that whole. And what that implies is a massive jump in, in, in leadership consciousness because most of these change initiatives that take place in companies are still treating companies as if they're mechanical systems. So they'll take one part out and say, well, let's fix this, and or the people, they'll fix the people, which is the other temptation. So, you know, and in doing so, they accomplish that suboptimization. Incremental change is about as good as you're going to get because you're not really looking at the entire system and finding those leverage points that have a ripple effect throughout the entire interconnected dynamic of, 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 this, of the company itself. Well, that's why we need to get over the kind of a mechanistic local realism and get, into, get back to the question that you asked in the beginning, you know, to really to find out who am I and what is the world or what is the organization around me 
because if you look at it as independent bits and pieces of matter put together as some mechanism that we can take a screwdriver and take it apart or, or put it together in a different way, if you look at it in that way, you will end up by destroying that unity which is there in nature. You know, this brings me an interesting point that there is this concept, uh, there, there is this factor in nature which means that every living, surviving species is somehow built into its environment. If it systematically destroys its environment, it destroys itself. But before it gets to the point of destroying its environment, it gets selected out by natural selection. It doesn't survive. It can't reproduce. So only humans in the, in the scope of the last uh, 100, 150 years or so have managed to be outside of this system, not not aligning ourselves in it or with it uh, and acting only in view of our own immediate perceived interest and we are compensated for that by technology but in the process we are destroying our environment the natural balances in the environment and we are also overloading the system both in terms of number and energy and resources resource claims and so on so we have to recover our sense of being part of that whole system and acting in a way that we are a construct, we become a constructive part of it, which we have been. Humanity over its, I don't know how long we want to say, 30,000 years, 50,000 years of as being a conscious civilization has been part of this overall system. You see the so-called primitive cultures talking about how life, the, the world is alive, nature is alive around them, and they venerate it and they, they try to fit themselves in. Humans in the, in the, in the Western world especially have, a, develop this manipulative uh, mindset whereby you think we are outside of nature, we are above nature, and we can do with it what we want. As long as we just need to survive. We not only survive, we just need to pursue our own interests. And that's all there is to it. That was the enterprise ethics of Samuelson and other people, the new, uh, the new liberalism, uh, trying just to be responsible for your, for your own enterprise and never mind the rest. That's all, that's all there is to it. And now we're beginning to pay the price. Because we, are, we see that we are destroying the, uh, the balances of the environment that is essential for humanity as a species of nearly 7.5 billion people to survive on this planet. What this strikes for me is it, when I go into any situation where there's the traditional way of thinking about things, there's a need for certainty. There's a need for the concrete. So this kind of conversation would just freak, freak them out completely. Uh, and they also need to control everything. So that points us to the old map of consciousness or the old map of reality, if you will, and the new map that's emerging. Can you talk a little bit about that? The reason I use the term map is what I said at the beginning. We don't observe reality, cosmos, or, 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 or matter, or life, or whatever, directly. What we observe, we make specific observations and we connect these observations. And so we make maps. And the old map was a mechanistic map where you can take it apart. It's, it's divisible. And the new map is a, is a holistic map where all things act together. And where the, new, where the old map was, the key term was, you know, survive and, and compete. And the new map, I think the key term is collaborate and become coherent. I'd like to just talk for a moment about this term coherence because this is, is its original comes from science. Um, but it, it has a very wide, wide applications. Coherence means 
not only a, a set of waves are coherent, maybe a laser, for example, but coherence means that you have a set of phenomena, set of things or events which are so connected that every part is connected with every other part. A living system has to be coherent. If it's not coherent, it becomes sick, it's, it's ill. Any part of it is outside, beyond this coherence, or, or takes leave of it, then it becomes a threat to the entire system. So coherence means being part of a whole. And the coherence is, you can, you can break it down into, because you talk about having, being concrete, you can break it down into being externally coherent and internally coherent. Okay, let me just say, in a couple of words, in a quite concrete way, uh, you can examine an organization in terms of its intrinsic coherence. That means, do, does every department work in, con- in consistently in harmony with every other? Is, uh, do they work together? Could they accomplish things together? Even if each does its own thing, but it doesn't mean that we have to do the same thing. We all do what is our task and what needs to be done. That's just like a cell in a body. A liver cell is not the same as the brain, brain cell or the bone cell or skin cell. But we all do it in such a way that we are connected with all the rest. So that's intrinsic coherence. Now, if intrinsic coherence, coherence is what makes a system whole and existent and flourishing and capable of evolution. But you cannot achieve intrinsic coherence without what I would call extrinsic coherence, which means coherent with the world around you. Immediately you have to be coherent as an individual, with your family, with your friends, with your company, with your nation, uh, ultimately with your ethnic group and with your with, with perhaps with the human species or population as a whole. But you have to be coherent also extrinsically. Now, the interesting factor is that if you look at what happened in the last 150, 200 years, we have been maintaining our intrinsic coherence at the cost of our extrinsic coherence. We have been trying to maximize our own interactions and, and build things up for us at the cost of what we are doing to others around you. The key terms have been competition and human and personal interest or company interest, all of these things as being the maximizing factor. This is what you're really is responsive for. And this is what is, is the root of our problems. We have lost our, our extrinsic coherence. Now, when we recover that, then we can use another term, which I think is, 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 to me, I try to introduce that in my institute and also in the Club of Budapest that you mentioned. I try to introduce that as an aim, which is then known as super coherence. Now, super coherence is not something uh, esoteric or, or, or just artificial. It's what a living system is when it's healthy. A living system is internally coherent and externally coherent, intrinsically as well as extrinsically. It's part of a larger whole and it is itself as a whole made up of, of, its, of its parts. And that, that healthiness, that healthy coherence inside and out is super coherence. And this is what we have said goodbye to. We have, we have taken leave of this, thinking this not really necessary because we are above nature. We are above our environment. We can do with it what we want. So recover this and this deeper sense which means you can also talk about how you do this. I think from those goes back and recovers, recollects that we have that instinct. We have that sense of oneness, that sense of belonging inside us. And that is our healthy instinct. That's the survival instinct. That's the flourishing instinct. And we, we have been suppressing that in the, in the search for only competition, 
for our own, maximizing our own interests. So there's a lot we need to learn from nature. We can do this because fortunately we are part of an interconnected whole and we can recover our sense of wholeness in that larger, larger entity. And this is a very concrete task that I'm trying to get uh, our members. We have 22 national clubs in different parts of the world, the 22 countries of the world, the national uh, club of Budapest organizations, and we are telling and we are telling all of them, please ask, examine how coherent are you? How coherent are you with the world around you? And how coherent is is your re- nation or region internally and externally? And try to estimate that, and then try to connect together. Because connecting together, becoming super coherent, we have a chance to to remedy the problems of the world, which have been due to our lack of coherence, to the forgetting of our belonging to this larger whole. If I take that into the concept of just personal at a personal level, coherence internally has to do with are you aware of your emotions and and how much your emotions line up with your thinking so a person is coherent in their body when they're living a state of joy and they you know they it, there is complete coherence in their in their thought and feeling and action and that's also in response and, and here we're talking about the external part of it in response to the environment that they're in so that's where contextual awareness is critical to understand what what is my environment and how is it affecting my emotions and how am I responding and can I, even in tough situations, find myself in a state of coherence internally so that I can relate better to the external world. Does that seem like a fair example? Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better. It's perfect. I fully agree with you. Yes. It's the coherence starts at home. You have to, you, you can only create coherence if you yourself are coherent. You know, uh, Margaret Mead, the famous anthropologist, said, never doubt the power of a small group of people to change the world. I would say, yes, if the small group is coherent in itself, then it can create an environment, a sphere of coherence around itself. And those spheres together can, can, can grow and can interact and can ultimately change the world. I would agree also with Margaret Mead in saying that nothing, who also said that nothing else ever did, you know, it was only small groups that ever changed the world. I would say, yes, only small groups who bend together, who come together, each being consciously coherent and becoming, attempting to be coherent with each other, then I think you really have a chance to create, create a, a new world, to create another kind of a civilization, which is built on a current civilization, but with a different realization, different realization of who we are and what the world is. And this realization is not esoteric, it's not just imagination. It comes from the deepest levels or the most advanced level of scientific research. So it gives me great hope that the old insights, some of these seemingly uh, age-old personal insights are being reflected in the discoveries of the quantum world. It is not a mechanistic world. It is very much of a coherent world of in which we are a part, but of which we should be a part consciously. When I go into here companies and or teams or whatever the level it is that I might be working in, I'm listening for how they think. And frequently you'll hear it's either this or it's that. You'll hear dualism. And, you know, we can't, it's not and, it, it's, it's the, and, and I also hear that within the conversations that are trying to make sense of new methods coming in. Is, is it method or is it mindset? How does the, or does the end of dualism mark the step into the new map of, of uh, reality? 
But as long as you think that there is a realm which you call material realm, is the physics realm, is the only only matter and, and energy and force acting on matter, as long as you think of that, as I said, there is no place for, ma- for mind, for, for consciousness. If you think of the world in different terms, then you are integrating, you are bringing together this, this larger consciousness, which is the basis for all things. There has been a, a, some physicists, for example, I've been mind, uh, Max Planck, you know, who is famous for his, for his, for his discoveries in, in the 20th century, the second part of the second, second uh, of the 20th century, uh, where the Planck dimension, the smallest dimension in the world, which seems to be so integrating so much energy there that we can just can't explain it in classical terms. But he said it, that what we find in the world is and these are his terms. There is an intelligence that holds the vibration of the particles together so they form an atom. Now, this seems to come from a poet, but it comes from a scientist. And there's another interesting and important saying by another famous physicist called Erwin Schrödinger. Schrödinger said, there is no consciousness in the plural. Think of that. Consciousness is, must be one. Ultimately, it's one. Because we are all participating in this larger cons- consciousness of which we are a part. So when Planck talks about the intelligence of, of the universe, and Schrodinger talks about the one consciousness, they're talking about the same thing. And many, many scientists, including Einstein, talked about trying to read the mind of God. You know, they all, all come up to the same notion that ultimately there is a larger set of information which we can, in the religion, we would identify with, with, with a divinity or the divine spirit. But in science, we can talk about the laws, the, the unified universal laws of nature, which are the set of algorithms, the set of instructions that make the world what it is. If we can align ourselves with that, we will be a, a positive evolutionary, evolutionary flourishing part of the whole system. If we ignore it, then we are actually only only acting in the short term and we are endangering ourselves and the world around us. You wrote World Shift 2012, back in 2012 is when it was published. What is the imperative for understanding this new reality and the power that the individual has by bringing themselves into a state of internal coherence and then through contextual awareness and through expansion of their own consciousness embracing a level of super coherence. What, what is the imperative that we face now as, as a species? Become extinct or evolve. That's pretty simple. The imperative is really basically there. We are in a process that is known in, in, in the system scientists, also in thermodynamics, is known as bifurcation. Now, bifurcation is an interesting concept. Think of, of what there is being a set, a set of vibrations, set of waves, that are coherent, you know, with one another. These vibrates, these waves evolve all the time. They interact with, with each other. And ultimately, they, they produce a balance so that they maintain themselves. That means they are coherent among themselves. Their phase is adjusted. They are in phase. The frequencies are in phase. Well, when this, this process of stabilizing this process, this process of evolution... And, evolve, uh, and reaches a critical limit, a point where it can no longer be maintained, then we have a crisis. Then we have a, a cusp of even evolutionary process. You can no longer maintain the system as it is. You need to change. 
The alternative to change is decoherence. It's really falling apart to its parts. And this you can apply to any organizations, whether it's a business or a society or a culture or, or, or a, uh, ecology or whatever. We either face a bifurcation in the way in which we recover that balance between all its elements or that system, the given system, is falls apart, becomes decoherent, returns to its elements, as it were. So the, as a system, it, it no longer exists. So the imperative is we are in a process of bifurcation. We face the specter of falling apart the individual units that fight each other, that compete with each other, each only looking for its own interests, its short-term interests, not perceiving its, its connection with the rest. If we could do that, ultimately, we are not only creating more and more concentrations of, of wealth and large and, and larger, larger segments of poverty and powerlessness, we are also destroying those balances which prevent the, the further existence, not only evolution, but even the existence of higher forms of life. We are on that point. So the imperative before us is to rethink and reconstruct the way we relate to each other. We can do this. We are doing it to some extent because the young people and many, many people who are sensitive, leading businessmen, also very, very much, very strongly so, are realizing that you don't just continue the way we have been going because we are taking apart this entire system. We need to re reconstruct that deeper unity that holds us with each other. The expressions are oneness, wholeness, the expression is love, for example. All these are signs, indications of a new awakening, of a new wave coming to be in the world of, of business, in the world of society, in, of politics, even, although that's perhaps the slowest of, of these various elements. It's coming to be as, as the counteracting, is the counteracting force to the decoherence that is threatening us. So we can change the world because in a bifurcation, you don't need a big critical mass. The critical mass can be a small group because the bifurcation process is very sensitive to change. It only has one rule. You can't change as you, you can't stay as you are. You can't go back to where you were. You have to innovate. You have to go further. You have a chance to do that because the system is open to change. The present system is opening up to change. There are still forces that are, that are trying to maintain it. They're trying to fight change. Obviously, we know that in politics, we know that in society, we know that in business, we know that in the academic world. We know it in the media. But there is at the same time a large segment, a large wave coming apart of the, in, in, in civil society, in the social media, at the right now on the periphery, moving toward the center, which is, at, which is designed to, which is attempting to, hoping to, pull things together to, be, to discover our belonging, our oneness, with the whole sphere, as we call the web of life, the whole planet. We are part of it. We thought we could move out of it. We are learning we can't do that. So on the next step, we discover we're not going back to where we were, but we discover consciously that we are part of an evolving whole universe based on information, based on energy, and we have the consciousness to be able to grasp that uh, in a clear way and use that consciousness to guide our steps so we can become one with the world. We can recover our oneness that we lost in the world. 
we can recover it because we are still part of it and it's still in it, in us. Well said. To me, it's, it's about respect for all life. It's about respect for the diversity of all life, including the diversity of perspectives that you have around the table inside companies. It's understanding the value of diversity, and it's really being able to, and this is what your writing has helped me in, my, in the evolution of my own skill set, to be able to stretch my perception from what I was seeing in the moment to a much wider view so that it provided some kind of perspective on what was really going on. You were always getting some higher view, if you will, of, of what was happening. And, and I really thank you for that. Well, it's such a simple thing, you know, it's, it's, it's all the great spiritual teaching is all there. It's there, there in, 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 in deepest sense of Christianity, it's there in Buddhism. Is there everywhere? I think it's there also in Islam, if it's not being emphasized. I mean, it's really when you really do well for yourself, it's when you do well for the world. You know, you can't separate the two things. And you are, the, the, your greatest good lies in doing good. So for in terms of business, what people are learning, I think, and you know that better than I do, that business is learning that you can do well and you can do good. By doing good, you can also do well. But it's not, you're not wanting, wanting to do good only to do well. You want to do good because you know that is the best for you, for your company and for everyone around you. Is that realization, I think, coming, uh, to, coming to the surface in the world of business, we really have a hope that we can overcome the challenge of this bifurcation and we find a new world that is based more on cooperation than on competition, more on the sense of community than the sense of separateness. Exactly. Exactly. What is Reality is a book. It's coming out, or it's out at the end of October, I believe. Yes. And where else would you like to send people for more information besides Amazon, which is just Google Irvin Laszlo and on Amazon, and you'll come up with a whole list of titles that you could choose to dive into. But is there any other place you'd like to send our listeners to? Well, I mean, you can you can see, for example, the website of my institute. We just put in LaszloInstitute.com and you'll see what the kind of research we are doing on the theoretical level. You look at the Club of Budapest and then you see how the projects that, uh, for, including the project of super coherence that I mentioned, is being articulated and how it's being carried out in, in different parts of the world. And these are, uh, these are all elements that you can look at. You'll be able to, as of January, of course, it's <laughs> several months apart, there will be a film uh, which is now in production for PBS. It's a one-hour special dedicated to my life and my ideas. And uh, I, I hope that we can, we can finish it by that time. It's currently in production. And I think we'll make it available, make these ideas accessible to a very wide public especially in the U.S. is considered to have a 100 million uh, lead, uh, possible uh, viewership on that. So I'm, we are trying, I'm trying very hard to bring these ideas in such a form, in such a way, that they are meaningful to people, that you don't say something, uh, think, aha, that's strange. But on the contrary, you say, aha, yes, I knew that. If you can say that, if I say something to which you say that, I knew that all along, then I'm happy. Because then I think, and then we discover something which was in us, which we can now articulate.
Really what we're sta- the stage we're in now is a reawakening of what I would call a reawakening of, of the fundamental understanding of our role and in, in our, you know, it, 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 is, it is spiritual reawakening, essentially. So. It is, it is. We are all spiritual beings. There's been an old, an old saying that's being said more and more. We are not material beings having a spiritual experience, but we are spiritual beings having a material experience. Certainly we have a consciousness. We didn't talk about that, but I'm convinced. I can just put it in, in parentheses right now. I'm convinced that our consciousness is not limited to our brain. There's so much evidence that consciousness can exist also beyond the brain. And so we are people who are participating in a process which we can describe as the evolution of consciousness. And we are not just a, a, a limited mortal beings, and just a flesh and bone to this one way, that one time that we are going around. I think the ancient insights of the cycles of existence moving from life to life and evolving. I think that has the gist of, the, of, of truth in it. And when we look at the phenomena of consciousness being non-local and being non-limited, not limited fully to an individual brain, but being present, being, being spreading in the, in the world, I think we find that, yes, this is a much more wonderful, much more remarkable in this almost fabul- fabulous world, much more so than we thought. So it's a privilege to live in this world and by the way, let me say that it's also a privilege to talk to you about it. I think these are the kind of questions that we should emphasize and go down and get and try to apply them in principle. Each person would know how in his or her area can apply this, how can seek the super coherence, which makes you one with the world. I want to thank you very much for your contribution today, Urban, and I'm looking forward to having more conversations with you about this, because to this, to me, is the real work of today. It's the exciting part where we discover what we're really capable of as, indiv- as a species, but, but as individuals, and, and also what, what can happen when we team up and, and collaborate with each other and, and really are guided by a much higher purpose than the quarterly report, if we put it in the business context, or if we put it at a personal level, going to the golf course, and not that there's anything wrong with golfing, but it's just to say that um, we've got massive amounts of fantastic work to do. It's not work in the hard labor sense. It's, it's extremely exciting work, and I think that's the opportunity we have before us now. We've never before had the opportunity to really change, to take our destiny into our own hand because we are in a bifurcation process. We can realize that through our conscious existence in this world, we can influence how we live, how others live, and how this world shapes up. It's extremely exciting. It's a wonderful time to be alive. It's a time full of challenges and risks, but also of opportunities. And the task before us is to grasp, seize the opportunities, and live fully our potential, become what we really can be. I think that is a greatest possibility, a greatest chance, and to me it's a greatest source of satisfaction as well. I completely concur with that. There are not, none of us at this stage where we're sitting back and going, well, that was a nice life. Now I'm just going to sit down and wait. <laughs> just, this is the, the time when you step in and step up, and it's so exciting. So thanks again for, for your contribution and for our conversation and for all the work you're doing. Uh, thank you, Donna, for raising all these issues and bringing it to the wide world of business and, and society, which is where it, where it belongs. This is not just for people, for philosophers and, and, and scientists to study in the, next to the fireplace. It's the, it's the place and in the work, in the, in the, in the workshops, in business, 
making the world change because the world can change and we can change it. I'm Donna Jones. I provide personal growth for business, mentoring leaders and decision makers who are really ready to adapt their awareness and inner skill set to both meet and match the complexity and speed of change. I also bring intuitive insight into decision making and leadership expansion so that collaboration can benefit from conflicting perspectives and higher trust. By embedding a healthy balance between certainty and uncertainty, growth at a personal and organizational level has a serious chance. Contact me through LinkedIn or through www.fromInsight2Action.com. And it's Donna, D-A-W-N-A.